Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you can reach up there and grab one out of the chair in front of you, or I'm sure you can find one on your phone. So um, uh, this morning is just uh, our our passage, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 through 30, is just such an incredibly inspiring and challenging passage. Uh, When I think about uh, my life as a, as, a, as a kid, I grew up in church, and actually Philippians chapter 1, actually the book of Philippians, but Philippians chapter 1 and especially Philippians chapter 3 were the reasons that I could never become a Christian. Man, I read this, I understood what it meant to be a Christian, and I just thought, no thank you. Um, That is not what I wanted. I want to just ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the purpose of your life? Have you ever thought about why you exist? And for me, I realize that uh, we'll, we'll be reading this verse. How many of you have ever heard of the verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain? We're going to read that this morning. And, and that's really kind of our theme, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Another way to say that would be to say that honoring Christ in our life or in our death, that is our purpose. That is the purpose that God gives us. And for me, as uh, I had a personal mission statement, I didn't really know what it was. If somebody would have said to me, hey, Roger, what is your personal mission statement? I would not have been able to write that out for them. How many of you have ever worked on a personal mission statement? Um, I want you to know something. You have one. You may not have thought about it. You may not have planned it out. But you have a personal mission statement. And actually, if you look at your life, you could probably define your personal mission statement. Look at how you spend your time. Look at what you spend your money on. Uh, What occupies your attention? What keeps you up at night? What do you think about? Uh, What causes you anxiety? Those things that fill your mind that you think about, those things express your personal mission statement. Now, uh, my personal mission statement was that I wanted to have as much fun as possible. Remember the Apostle Paul? He talks about eat, drink, and be merry. How some people say eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That was my personal mission statement. And I couldn't have written that out, but that's what it was. Um, So I would just challenge you to consider what is your personal mission statement. And, And that really is a reflection of how you see the world and how you see yourself. It's interesting, have have any of you ever heard of the the great evangelist D.L. Moody? Okay, so a lot of us have heard about Moody. And I read this story about Moody, and it was when he was in London, and he was on one of his evangelistic tours, and a bunch of other clergy came to visit him. And they wanted to know um, how and why this poorly educated American was so effective. And uh, Moody took these men over to the window of his hotel room, and he asked them to look outside and tell him what they saw. And one by one, the men described the people in the park below. 
And then Moody looked out the window with tears rolling down his cheeks. And they said, what do you see, Mr. Moody? Um, and he said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend an eternity in hell if they don't find a savior. What made Moody's life so effective and so powerfully was the way he saw the world. And I would say it even started before that. It's how did he see himself? He looked at people and saw them as lost and as people who needed Christ, first and foremost, because he realized that he was lost without Christ. You know, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul was a man, and when, when you read the book of Philippians, and, and this is all throughout Scripture, but when you read the book of Philippians, you get to see Paul's heart. You get to see the way Paul saw himself, the way he saw life, the way he saw priorities. I mean, this is an expression of his heart. Um, he saw life as it really was. Now, I thought about this with the Apostle Paul. He went through so many things. And I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know that God took Paul up into heaven and allowed him to see heaven? How many of you knew that Paul went to heaven? So he talks about that, actually, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. He talked, and when he describes it, he says, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. Like, he, he just says, I don't know if God physically took me into heaven or if he just gave me a vision of heaven. Like, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. And he, when he talks about that, he says that God told him that he was not allowed to describe what happened in heaven. He wasn't allowed to describe it. You know, he said these words, a man is not permitted to speak. And then, and that comes in the context of Paul describing his thorn in the flesh. How many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh? I mean, he had a thorn in the flesh. God actually allowed him to be persecuted by a demon in order to keep him humble. This vision was so great that God needed to afflict him so that he wouldn't become prideful. And I've often thought about why did God allow Paul to see heaven and to see those things. And I wonder when you read these things in Philippians and the way that he lived his life and the way that he, what he was willing to suffer for. And when he says things like, what I has seen, what heart has, what I has not seen, what heart has not imagined is what God has prepared for those who love him. And so I just want you to know, Paul had a vision of eternity, and it affected the way he saw today. And God gave him that vision to help us see life the way we should see it. And that is what you see in Philippians chapter 1. You know, I just want us to know that our purpose in life is to honor Christ. That's the reason that God has put us here on this earth. And that can only happen when we love God and when we love people the way that God tells us to. So we're going to see four important things this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 through 30. And the first one is just that honoring Christ is the purpose of every Christian's life. The second thing is that honoring Christ flows from affection for God and for his people. Honoring Christ is specifically defined in um, 
Philippians chapter 1, Paul's going to actually, he actually describes what honoring Christ is. And then this is, this chapter ends with two powerful things. And that is that honoring Christ is enabled by God's gifts. He gives us two gifts that allow us to honor him. You know what the first gift is? It's faith. God allows us to believe in him. That is a gift. But, you know, there's a second gift that is a necessity for us to honor Christ. You know what it is? Suffering. Uh, God gives us the gift of belief and the gift of suffering. And so we're going to look at what uh, Scripture says here. Let's start by just considering verse 18 through 20. Honoring Christ is the purpose of every Christian's life. This is what Paul says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, listen to this, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, whether by life or by death. The Apostle Paul says that he knows that his circumstances, he said this in, chapter, in, in the previous verses, that his circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul was happy about suffering because it met the purpose in his life. See how he says, I'm going to rejoice and I will rejoice? His rejoicing was not based on whether or not his circumstances were pleasant. They were based on whether or not his circumstances stances honored God, and that was the purpose of his life. You know, everybody has aspirational purposes and real purposes. And you know what God wants? He doesn't want us to sit around and get in a room full of people and have somebody say, hey, what's the purpose of your life? Well, the purpose of my life is to preach the gospel. The purpose of my life is to please the Lord. And then walk out the door and live in a way that communicates that is not your purpose. Uh, the apostle, and in scripture, the apostle Paul talks about people who claim Christ with their mouth, but by their deeds, they deny him. And so you always know what your real values are because they show up in your affections and they show up in your actions. And so this is what he says. Um, you know, we're supposed to honor Christ in the big things in life and in the little things. I mean, that's what this says, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of Christ. Every single thing you do has as its purpose God's glory. Now think about that as you just consider the things of life. When a person joins a sports team, what is his purpose on that sports team? To bring glory to Christ. And when you think about where you live, when you buy a house, what is God's purpose in your purchase of that house? 
It's the glory of Christ. What if you were to go on a cruise? What is your purpose for being on a cruise? It is the glory of Christ. So you would be thinking to yourself, okay, God, you put me on this cruise, and I'm going to enjoy your goodness. I'm going to enjoy your kindness. But the person that's cleaning my room, how can I get to know them? How can I pray for them? How can I share the gospel with them? As I'm on this cruise and interacting with people, how can I live in a way that displays your character and your glory? And, and often we'll go out to restaurants and we don't realize that the reason we're in that restaurant is to honor Christ. When we think about our family vacations or when we, anywhere we go and everything that we do, we have a purpose and that is to honor Christ. That's what our purpose should be. So he says this, that he will honor Christ. And one of the things that we see is that whether by his life or his death, often we think, oh, man, my purpose is to live and to do everything I can to possibly live. And if anything happens that shatters that, we think, oh, man, I'm going through this hard time. This is really difficult. It's time for me to focus on me. But what does Paul say? Whether by life or by death. I remember um, this, this friend of mine, and uh, when I was uh, a student, a new student at Masters, I sat in this class with this brilliant professor. His name was C.W. Smith. And I remember just sitting in class with him, and he taught the book of Romans. And then a few years later, he came to our church, and he was the, um, he was the interim pastor at our church while we looked for a pastor. Do you know how long he was there? <laughs> Four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half year interim. Uh, he, his, his interim pastor stage lasted longer than many uh, lead pastor stages last. And uh, during that period of time, um, his wife got leukemia and she ended up dying. We prayed for her, went through that. And then after his wife passed away, he got cancer. And, and I remember uh, close to the end of his life, he couldn't walk anymore. His body had shriveled up, and uh, they, they were wheeling him around in a wheelchair, and he came to the church, and, and we were just kind of ce celebrating his life, knowing that he didn't have many days. And uh, one of the things that uh, they asked him to speak at graduation, at a graduation, and he just talked about how thankful he was and how much he looked forward to heaven. And one of the things that he told me personally, and I would have never I would never have thought this myself, but he just came to me and he said, Roger, he said, the best way, cancer is one of the greatest, most blessed ways that a person could leave this world. And he was just so thankful that he was dying of cancer. And he said, there's a lot of people who wake up in the morning, they get in their car and they die in a, in a car accident they don't see it coming. They don't have an opportunity to prepare. Uh, they don't have a, an opportunity to have conversations with people. Like they just, they don't see it coming. And he said, for me, God's given me lots of time to see my life coming to an end. And I know that I'm right at the end. And he said, it's an incredible blessing. I've said everything that God would have me say to people. I've put everything in order. And, and for him... He, he looked at death, and he was able to look forward to his death because he was living rightly. 
He was living with the right purpose. This is what he says, the Apostle Paul, in verse 18. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's going to explain this in a little bit. Paul's in prison, and he says, I know that you praying for me is going to get me out of prison. And he's going to explain that shortly after this. But this is something else. It's their prayer, and it's the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Have you thought about um, what provides spiritual strength and spiritual confidence as we approach the Christian life? You know, it's prayer. Actually, God is the one who works in our life. Um, go back up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about his confidence in his life being based on the work of God himself. He says this, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then look at verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. He who began a good work in you. Now, did you, I don't know if you know, but there's like a big controversy in this verse about what this is talking about. He who began a good work in you. So the, the, the discussion as they look at this is most people take this to mean salvation. God saved you and he's going to work that. He, he's going to bring that to completion. But there are those who look at the book and they just say, well, no, these people, they participated with Paul financially. They were right here. It says in this verse that they were participating in the gospel. This is not talking about their spiritual salvation. This is talking about the work that they're doing, their involvement in the gospel, that it's that work that God's going to bring uh, to completion. And um, so just as I weigh in on this, I think that this is talking about our personal salvation. But I don't think that's separated from the work that God has called us to. Um, the reason I think that this is our salvation is because it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. It doesn't say he who began a good work through you. It's he who began a good work in you. And then it goes on and it says he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is at the day that Jesus returns. At the day we meet Jesus. Uh, what, what is that work? If that was their temporal work... Like, you know, whatever they were doing in Philippi is not still continuing to this day. But what God did in their life was completed the day they met Christ. So that's the reason that I think this is talking about personal salvation. But I just want you to know that salvation includes what God does in that moment that you are saved. But salvation also includes sanctification. That is what God continues to do in your life. And salvation includes the work that God has called you to do. 
And one of the things that I just think is great is in Philippians, we have this confidence that our standing and our faithfulness and the work that we do, that God will bring those things to completion. It is God who does that. It's not we who do it ourselves. God is in it. And uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, you see this, like, combination, this understanding of the work we do and the work God does. Listen to this. I'll read it to you. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, when he says work out your salvation, he's not just saying salvation is not just the moment. It is then how we work that out, which includes sanctification and it includes work. And Paul says, you need to take your Christianity, you need to take your salvation seriously and you need to work it out with fear and trembling. Not carelessness in life, but with a diligent focus. So there's a lot of human effort to take a step back and to say, what has God called me to do? I need to live this with reverence. I cannot just be careless in how I live my life. But then he says something next. Look what he says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, we work hard, but it is God who works in us. It is not just human effort. It is divine purpose. It is God's purpose. And his thankfulness for the Philippians was their diligence, but it was knowing that ultimately it was God that was working in them. We should never approach life as though it all depends on us. But we should also never approach life as though our effort doesn't matter. So we live diligently. You know, when Paul talks about deliverance, he knows in this situation he's going to be delivered. But in 2, Corinth, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about the end of his life. And he just, uh, this is the, the first time that Paul's in prison in Rome. The ne- then, and so then that finishes the book of Acts. And then Paul actually is rearrested and re-put in prison in Rome. And from that imprisonment, Paul is never released. And so the second time that he's been imprisoned in Rome, he actually writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He looks at himself. He knows that he's about to be beheaded, that his life is going to come to an end. And when he talks about that defense and he talks about what he went through there, he, he just says this. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Here, I'll I'll put this up on the screen for you. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that as the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom To him be the glory forever. Amen. Again, he's looking at his life, the purpose of his life, to bring God's glory. And you know what's interesting? Because he says that God is going to rescue him. Tomorrow I will be executed. 
And that is how God is going to rescue me and bring me safely home. You ever thought about that as we pray for people's earthly healing from physical disease? If those people know the Lord, God will heal them in this life or he will heal them by taking them out of this life. Because when a believer is in heaven, they are perfect. Everything is restored. And so as believers, we pray wholeheartedly for people's healing, and God always heals people in this life or in the next. And that's one of the ways that we view and we should view our own lives. Here's the second thing that we're going to see in this passage is that honoring Christ flows from an affection for God, an affection for Christ, and for his people. Look at verse 21 to 26. Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. I will just say this. Um, if living isn't Christ, then dying won't be gain. Uh, dying is only gain when living is Christ. And I will say this, that Unless you're living for Christ, sometimes life is so painful and meaningless. There are many who, because they don't live for Christ, because life isn't Christ, they have no desire and purpose to live. I remember one time I was, uh, shortly after I became a Christian, I, I went to work with, uh, with uh, this guy that I was teamed up with, and we were just talking about how his brother had committed suicide. And um, I was a young man, uh, I was, I was uh, I think I was 18 years old, and just sitting next to him, I just, I was a new Christian, and sitting next to him, I just said, oh, man, I wish I could have talked to your brother. Because anybody who's at the place of committing suicide, man, that is the place that a person needs to be to follow Christ. When you say life has no purpose, I feel so much pain, nobody likes me, I'm willing to give everything up, that's what it means to be a Christian, is when you say, all right, if I, if I have no friends, I don't care. I mean, that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, right? Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And uh, it was interesting. He just said, yeah, if, if you could have talked to my brother, what would you have said? And I can't remember what I would have said, and I think that you know, I, I understand that there is the, that, that is a, uh, a narrow way to view people struggling with discouragement, depression, who consider taking their life. Uh, there, there is a lot more going on there, but the truth is that when to live is Christ, that provides purpose, it provides meaning, and death will be gained. Here's what Paul says. This is how we're all supposed to live. Look at verse 22. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the, tr the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this... I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You know, just, I just want to say this. Do you notice how Paul, even in his rescue, 
He sees God's glory as the motivation behind it. If I'm rescued, that means I'm going to come to you. You're going to see me, and you're going to glory in Christ. Paul's purpose, he gloried in Christ. His purpose in the lives of others was that they would glory in Christ. And the reason he's convinced that he's going to be rescued is so that he can do the work that God has called him to do. Now, when we think about uh, living for Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about um, what that means for you? to live as Christ, to die as gain, and the fruitful labor that God has called us to. When I, I remember thinking to myself, and I, I used to tell people, I cannot become a Christian. Because if I become a Christian, God is going to make me a missionary or a pastor. <laughs> and I was just thinking, what an incredible nightmare to be a missionary or a pastor. And that's what God wants people to do. That's horrible. And uh, actually, I just became a Christian, and then viewing life in that way, I thought, man, what better thing to do than to be a pastor? You ever thought about what the difference between a Christian's life is and a pastor's life? Or what the difference is between a Christian's life and a missionary's life? Can I just tell you on a fundamental level, they are no different. When people read Philippians chapter 1, that is actually the stereotype that people have of a missionary's life or the stereotype that people have of a pastor's life. If I live, this means fruitful spiritual labor. Um, did you know that, that what a pastor does in a church in the sense of you, you're sharing the gospel with people? You're discipling people. You are training people to live their life in holiness and to know what God says and to live that out. You're supposed to be equipping people to use their gifts to build up the body of Christ. Like that's what a pastor does, right? Uh, Ephesians 4. Did you know that that is actually what every single dad does? He shares the gospel with his kids. He disciples them, trains them, teaches them to read the Bible, teaches them what it means to live a holy life. He pulls his family together, and he says, okay, to the brothers and sisters, here's how God wants you to be a godly influence in the life of your sibling. This is how God wants you to build up our family. Here's how God wants you to help me grow. I remember those conversations that I used to have with my kids about keeping secrets and just that, that uh, you know, that, that terrible perspective that if you're really loyal to people, you'll keep their secrets. And so if you have a friend who's doing something wrong, a real loyal friend would never tell anybody. If your sibling is sneaking out at night and doing things, a loyal sibling would never tell on them. And just sitting down and saying, no, actually, you're a Christian. And your purpose is the spiritual well-being of your siblings. And so what does that mean? It means if one of your siblings is struggling with sin, kid come to me, uh, oh, my sibling's so selfish. Okay, well, what should you do if your sibling's so selfish towards you? You should pray for them. You should be an example to them. You should confront them. Often my kids would come to me and they would want to tattle. 
and I would just say, what does God say you're supposed to do when something happens? Are you supposed to talk about people or are you supposed to talk to them? So go talk to your sibling. And then if that doesn't get worked out, you should bring me with you. And, and if ever I had a sibling coming to tell on me, I'd say, don't talk to me. Go get your sibling and bring them here. So what does a pastor do? The exact same thing every single father does in his home. Uh, what, is a, what does a pastor do? I mean, just functioning in the body of Christ is what we all do. Well, what about a missionary? What does a missionary do? A missionary goes to another country, shares the gospel, and takes the believers, people who come to Christ, and then plants a church and organizes a church. What does a Christian do? A Christian, um, instead of moving to another country, lives in a neighborhood. And God put them there to reach their neighbors with the gospel. A, a Christian goes to work. And why does God put a Christian at work? to reach the people that they work with, to reach their customers. There is no difference between a missionary and an average Christian. The difference is average Christians do it here in their neighborhoods and at work, and a missionary does it in some other country. But it's the exact same thing. With this exception, you don't have to plant a church and organize a church. You can just bring people to church. And then when you bring them to church, you are actually a part of serving them, caring for them, and building them up. Philippians chapter 1 is not about a super Christian. It's not for missionaries. Now, let's just think about who did Paul write this book to? Did he write it to the elders slash pastors? Did he write it to the deacons? No, this letter was written to the saints. That's the church. And he says, by the way, within the saints... There are elders and deacons. So chapter 1 tells you that this book is not for spiritual leaders. I mean, it is. This book is for Christians. And spiritual leaders are just one of the groups within the church. And so this is the purpose of every Christian's life. So what does it mean to live for Christ? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Well... Living for Christ is, is what we all realize when we become Christians, right? Paul says, whatever was gained to me, I've considered as loss. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and just said, hey, Jesus, uh, what do I have to do to be your child? And he says, do all these things. I've done all that stuff. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He goes away sad. See, this is the basics of becoming a Christian. It's completely given yourself to please Christ. To honor Christ, that's your purpose. It is loving Jesus more than anyone or anything else. It is longing for his return. That's what it means to live as Christ. It's that we don't love the world or the things in the world. I remember when I went to Israel, our bus driver was an Arab. And he was an Arab who lived in uh, Jerusalem and lived in Israel. So he was an Israeli citizen, but he, he was an Arab. 
And one of the things he talked about was the, the salt sea and all this, you know, ju just the salt and just the different economic things in the nation of Israel. And one of the things he was talking about while we we're looking at the Dead Sea is he said, you see all those salt factories over there in, the, in, uh, in the, th that, those countries, in the Arab countries? He said, did you know that Israel built all those and gave them to, to their enemies? I just said, that's crazy. Why would they do that? And he said, part of the problem we have is that in some of these Arab countries where people are so poor, they have nothing to live for. Like their lives are meaningless. And so they'll just strap a bomb on themselves and come into Israel and just blow up a school and blow themselves up. He's like, they got nothing to live for. And so we want to help them prosper and to have a good life so that they'll have something to live for and quit blowing themselves up in our area. We want to give them something to live for. See, that's part of the problem is that for any, many of us, we're living for the world and the things in the world. And God says that we shouldn't do that. Um, why is dying gain for a Christian? Um, well, for one, we're finally with Christ. We finally have perfect fellowship with Christ. Um, C.W. Smith, when he was preaching uh, just a very short time before he passed away, he just said, I cannot wait to go to heaven. Finally, my struggle with sin is going to be over. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be fully holy, fully pleasing to God. And just watching this man at the end of his life having this incredible desire, to be with Christ and to be right, he, he, he was thankful to finally be free from sin. So let's consider the next thing is, did you know that uh, honoring Christ is specifically defined? This is what it says in Philippians 3. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything of your, by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So I just read through scripture, and if you want the list of scriptures... Um, email me and I'll send it to you. But I just, I just read through scripture and I was thinking through what is the gospel worthy of? And I'm just going to read you a list. It's worthy of losing everything for. It is worth more than your earthly life. It is worth more than your family. It is worth more than your friends. It's worth more than every earthly possession. It's worth more than any single possession. It's worth more than any comfort. It's worth being tortured for. It's worth more than being able to control your own life or make your own decisions. It's worth more than any sinful pleasure or enjoyment. It is worth never giving up, no matter how discouraged or how many times you fail. All of that is what is worthy of the gospel. Here's how Paul defines it. In verse 9, he actually prays for the Philippians, and this is what he prays for. And this is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So what is living in a way worthy of the gospel? It's living a loving life with knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent so that you may be pure and blameless. That just means unpolluted. Living a life that is unpolluted, not just unpolluted, but verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And look how he ends that in verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. See, your purpose is to live to build up the body of Christ, to put Christ on display, that when people meet you, they know what Jesus is like. That is living life in a manner worthy of the gospel. It is putting Jesus' character on display. It is pursuing the things that he pursued. And he goes on and just says, without fear. And that's kind of our, our last point here that we see in verse 29 and 30. It says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then in verse 30, Paul says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's just saying that God has granted you to believe in him and to suffer in him, and you're seeing that stuff work its way out in my life. Paul wasn't talking about something he didn't understand. He's just saying, you see this lived out in me. So let's consider this. Faith is a gift. Did you know that faith is what makes you stand firm? You know that it's my faith in Christ. It is trusting Jesus that saves me, not my good works. Faith in Christ, you believe that God is all-powerful, that he holds life in his hands. It is your faith that allows you to stand for, firm and live that way. Your faith is what makes you fearless. I mean, think about reading through Scripture and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and the many people who were faithful before the Lord in the face of these dire circumstances, they had faith in God and it made them fearless because they realized it's not my boss, it's not my neighbors, it's not some person that hates me that holds my life in their hands. God holds my life in his hands. So faith makes us fearless. And faith is what gives us purpose. Because if we didn't have faith, we'd be lost, and we understand that everybody else without faith is lost. So what about suffering? You know, God's given you faith, but he's also gives suffering as a gift. Why is suffering a gift? And um, here's a few things I thought about. Suffering is a gift because it gives us opportunities to run to God. What do you do when you suffer? When you suffer, don't you run to God in prayer and just say, God, please help me. Uh, don't, don't you ask other people to pray for you when you're suffering? The Apostle Paul just said, man, when I was so overwhelmed, God helped me through your prayers. You helped me through your prayers. Suffering drives us to God. And so that is an incredible gift. S suffering is also a tremendous gift because it helps us understand the pain that others are going through, and it enables us to help them. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 
uh, 1, verse 3 through uh, probably around 11, it says that God comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort others with the affliction, with the same comfort that God has given us in the midst of their affliction. So the more you suffer, the more effective you are in caring for other people. Um, have you ever heard that, that phrase, until God never uses somebody greatly until he's hurt him deeply? And so our suffering is something that gives us heart and an ability to minister to other people. And then here's another thing it does is it strips us, us of sinful affections and it clarifies what's of ultimate value. You know, the Apostle Paul says um, that he is content in any circumstance. And his contentment, as you look at all those things, is based on the fact that Jesus will never leave him or forsake him. If you lose your car and your life melts down, but you have Christ, what do you value? If you lose a person who is close to you and your life melts down, but you still have Christ, what is most important to you? And often we suffer as God strips away these things that we truly value. And sometimes as we suffer, that helps us move from aspirational values to true values because it communicates something about yourself. Do you love God or do you love what God gives you? Are you living for eternity or are you living for today? And often it's suffering that opens our eyes to what's really true of us. It's an incredible passage. And let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to be people that live to honor you. Lord, you've defined it. You've called us to it. You have spiritually enabled us to do it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live for the things of eternal value, the things that are truly treasures.